This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 107. And the quote of the day is from Alan Watts, who said, No valid plans for the future can be made by those who have no capacity for living now. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and I am feeling good. It's Monday morning. I'm home. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but I recently got married on May 16th, just got back from my honeymoon in Thailand, and sort of getting back into the fold here, but I'm excited because there's a lot of exciting things going on for Drummer's Resource and some stuff that I'll be sharing with you guys soon. Uh, One of the big things right now is that uh, the 2015 Drummies nominations are out for Drum Magazine, and Drummer's Resource has been nominated for Best Website. So if you could please do me a favor, I would really, really appreciate it. Go to drummagazine.com forward slash drummies, that's D-R-U-M-M-I-E-S, and vote for the Drummer's Resource. And if you've gotten any value out of this podcast or from the site, uh, this is your way to uh, to sort of pay me back if you'd like. I would love to win the 2015 Drummies. So please head over to drummagazine.com forward slash drummies and vote for the Drummer's Resource. Like I said, I would really appreciate it. Today's session is sponsored by DW Drums, and I not only play DW Drums and have been for the last 15 years or so, but the reason why I love DW is because they support and foster drumming initiatives all over the world, much like this podcast. So check them out at dwdrums.com and on social media just to say thanks for, for supporting this podcast. This session is also supported by Drum Magazine. And if you want to get better fast, you need to be checking out Drum Magazine daily. And they don't just have cliche Q&As, but they have product views and and in-depth interviews with different people. And you can go over to drummagazine.com and subscribe today. Now, the session that I have today, coincidentally, um, it's sponsored by DW. And I have Don Lombardi, the founder of DW Drums. I was out at DW and Drum Channel in April teaching some lessons and things and, and was hanging out with Don. And I said, man, I'd love to talk to you about you know how you started DW. And, and he invented the, the double bass drum pedal and, and all these other things. And he was telling me at dinner, and I just said, I got to have you on the podcast because I want other people to hear about all this. Then we talked about the mergers and acquisitions that they did with all the other companies and what they're going to do with the Gretsch brand and all that stuff. So this is a really interesting interesting interview for me for someone who has been in the drum industry for years and he's also a really really good player I don't know if you guys knew that but he was like he was a session and and touring guy for years before he started DW so very interesting journey that Don has taken over the years and I'm happy that I got a chance to sit down with him and, and talk to him about it all so without further ado here we go Mr. Don Lombardi Hey everybody Nick Ruffini here from Drummer's Resource and I'm here at Drum Channel with Don Lombardi and we are here to talk about the foundation or the, the formation of DW and of Drum Channel <laughs> and how Don has been a staple in the percussion industry for so many years. So Don, first of all, thank you so much for doing this and welcome to Drum Channel. Thank, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you for coming out here. Couldn't Absolutely. be, couldn't feel more like I'm at home. That's for sure, right? <laughs> a lot of fun things have happened in this set through the years. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I've been, you know, I've watched all these things happen and, and, and unfold in front of me and now I'm getting to be here uh here in Oxnard is is great so thank you for having me out you guys have been very hospitable and I appreciate it and I'm going to have the opportunity of turning the tides here uh, a little bit later today and I'll be interviewing you so which will be interesting you'll all find out a lot of stuff about both of us we'll we'll get some dirt in there right there we go (laughs) tell some stories and definitely get some dirt and then Thank no. you for not mentioning how many years I've been doing. A lot of years, that kind of rolls nicely <laughs> rather than, than numbering the years. Well, I'll let, you, I'll let you put a number on it if you want to. But well, well, we were talking earlier about my experiences in the early 60s uh, as a young player, so that pretty much gives it away if you can add right. up from there. <laughs> <laughs> so I always, I, you know, every interview that I do, I always want to get the backstory of the people that I'm speaking with because people know you. People have heard your name. They obviously know everything that you do with your with with DW and with Drum Channel and everything else. But tell us how it all started. How did you get into this business and how did you grow uh, you know, this, this huge brand that you have now? 
Um, well, into the business, I like yourself, I think every drummer that's in this business at one level or another is in the business because they started out being a drummer. Right. Um, and that was true for me too. At nine years old, I just, I had uh, seen some television shows with drummers on them and for some reason I just uh, was drawn to that and thought that's kind of what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. uh, there was actually an older show, I was really young. It started with just a jazz ride cymbal on the hi-hat. Um, so the first thing I wanted was a hi-hat, you know, of, of all the drummers and drum students I've heard or taught through the years, I don't think I've ever started one on just a hi-hat, but I, <laughs> I didn't know there was the rest of a drum set. I just saw this guy going, shh, 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 shh. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So I, uh, at nine, uh, started playing a little bit, but um, then got into baseball and uh, sports, and then at 12, just really found a local teacher and got my first real drum set. And, mm -hmm decided that's, that's, I was no doubt in my mind, that's kind of what I wanted to do. Um, and fortunately, I had a good local, you know, neighborhood teacher. Mm -hmm. And then as I was 14, 15, um, got the experience of playing a little bit with some local bands and f ended up with some very good teachers, um, Nick Ciroli, Colin Bailey, um, Freddie Gruber, and a little bit later in time. So I, I, I not only, you know, was learning the instrument, but I was learning how to teach kind of at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, not being self-taught, if a teacher's teaching you, you're kind of seeing what they're doing to you that's getting a result. So uh, at 16, when I uh, first got my license, I started teaching at the local neighborhood music store, young kids, uh, and taught, you know, pretty much through my whole playing career, which was from 16 until I was getting drum workshop up and running, which was into the early 80s. So it was a 20 year period there where I, I raised four kids and was fortunate to, um, to make a nice living. And back in those days, um, there was a lot of places where you could play and a lot of ways you could, you know, you could make money in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, Las Vegas was one of them. I worked there a lot. Uh, even in town in LA, um, there were clubs that paid really well. Um, and would never consider myself a studio musician by a long shot, but I would do a few dates here and there, only in that there was so much work going on that the A and the B guys, and you know, it was it was a very clicky environment back in those days. Sure, uh, sure. But um, but fortunately, some of the people I had studied with were very much in that environment. So um, I, I was lucky to you know between a little bit of work in a lot of different areas. Uh, it, recently, Chad Wackerman told a story that there's three kinds of drummers uh, when you get calls. He said they. They call you because they need a drummer. Mm -hmm. uh, so fortunately, I was able to fill that bill in, in every case. Uh, I've never out of work in the whole time I played in my professional career. Um, or they call you because they want you to play like Chad Wackerman or Steve Gadd. They're looking for somebody like that. Right. Or as he said, they call you because you are Steve Gadd or Chad Wackerman, <laughs> and, they, and they want what you're doing if you're you know kind of at that level. So. So in the working musician's level, um, you know, that, that's kind of where my career stayed throughout the years. I didn't want to travel because uh, I wanted to stay in town. So that kind of precluded a little bit of, you know, going out and doing what were kind of road gigs back in those days. Mm -hmm. But again, there was a lot of work in L.A. that you could do. Um, so my passion for education, you know, and teaching, I, I always loved that. You know, I was running 50, 60 students a week um, uh, during my whole playing career. Uh, which made long days, as you know. Sure. Um, and then as I had the opportunity teaching the son of the owner of Campco, which was a small eclectic uh, drum company back in those days, those days being uh, the 50s, this is in the 60s, and now I'm looking at it in the later 70s. Um, I purchased Campco in 77, I believe it was almost 78. Uh, the tooling dies in moles. Mm -hmm. And I had had some inventions before that. So um, I had put my little toe into the idea of making a product and seeing who would buy it and how mm -hmm. it would work. Um, the main one I had was an adjustable trap case seat. So back in those days, um, right about that point in time, hardware was getting bigger and bigger and bigger, so it wasn't as relevant. But in previous days, you would have hardware that you could pack up and put into a seat and carry. Right. It wasn't right. the, you know, the monster stands. Um, which is coming back again in recent years, by the mm -hmm. way, <laughs> because we're all getting older, the people invented them, so we want to bring <laughs> them back again. Um, but it was, it was unique in that it was a canister seat that would adjust in height. And, oh, okay. uh, and back in those days, uh, again, in teaching young drummers, you know, it was really important, your balance and, and 
to breathe and be relaxed. Mm -hmm. And um, there weren't that many really good tripod seats that were made real well. So Buddy Rich, Louis Belson, Ed Shaughnessy, a lot of the guys played on their solid seats. And, and one thing I learned early on was that if you're at that level, they're gonna make you a seat at whatever height you sit. But right. as a consumer walking in, they were 24 inches. Mm -hmm. So why make a guy buy a 24 inch seat when chances are, especially as a drummer, if it's 24, you're gonna want 23 or 20. I mean, we all wanted a little Everybody different place, to, yeah, a little different right. place than where Customize it's gonna be. And move yeah. up and down. So very long story short, that was um, an invention that, that did really well, by that I mean I was selling two or three a month, right. you know, out of my garage. So I thought that was a huge hit. That's about the most I could do. Um, and then the opportunity came, you know, as now were they called? What were the? What was the brand name of those? It, <laughs> it, well, I started uh, Drum Workshop as a teaching studio in 1972. Mm -hmm. So basically, having taught, you know, from when I started, you know, my early career at 16, 17, I. I it, taught for several years, and I was teaching at three music stores around LA, and um, had surveyed my students. Fortunately, I was teaching a lot of older students that were driving and, and playing. Um, and it, would they drive to Santa Monica, which would be anywhere from a half hour to an hour away from you know, where I was actually teaching them. To get away from going to three stores, where inevitably, the store I would end up with at eight o'clock at night would be across town from where I was gonna play. It was just you know, the way it always is. So I just thought, what if I opened my own little place and I came up with the name Drum Workshop, the idea of workshop being seminars, mm -hmm. nothing to do with manufacturing at all. Um, and friends would come down and they would do seminars. Shelly Mann came down and Ed Shaughnessy and, and a lot of the local kind of heavy players in town. Um, it was kind of a new vibe. There really wasn't a, a place where people were doing that or where those things were really being offered. There was clinics, but not like on a regular master class kind of a basis. Right. So basically, Drum Workshop was the name of the teaching studio. So when I put the seat out, it was called, you know, the Drum Workshop Adjustable Trap Case Seat for lack of a, I mean, I can actually tell you the first name I came up with was the Royal Throne, and I have an ad with that name, an international <laughs> musician. And Freddie Gruber, my teacher, just uh, absolutely nailed me. Said, "You can't. People in my generation—that's what they call the toilet. Said, <laughs> you can't call it the." I said, "Well, people are going to remember." Right, I thought, right. So stupidly, I acquiesced. It probably would have been a marketing genius to keep that name. Anyways, um, that was something before Modern Drummer actually was mm -hmm. available, and that I think they came along right about the year or so after that. But that got me into manufacturing, uh, and that's where DW started mostly thinking of manufacturing the bass drum pedals. Mm -hmm. And somewhat from, from my position of me playing the pedal, all my friends playing the pedal, uh, the company was being sold to Hoshino, Tama, mm -hmm. uh, a Japanese company. So for me to ensure I would be able to get a really good quality pedal, you know, I went to my friends and we came up with the money and we said, let's buy it and we'll start making pedals for the guys, you know, kind right. of as a side thing. Um, and little did I realize- That was Campco. Uh, that was Campco. Yeah, I did not buy the Campco name. Okay. So, but basically uh, the person who sold it to me had the opportunity, he had a distribution company and he was making Campco drums. He had the opportunity to become the president of Roland US, which he was for 20 or more years and okay. retired a few years ago. So basically he just came to me and said, I've, I'm gonna sell Campco to a Japanese company. They wanna make it all over there. They don't need these 30-year-old dies and molds. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I can talk them into selling it in two parts. So I'll sell you the dies and molds. I'll sell them the name. I'm sure he made better uh, off by selling it in two parts. Mm -hmm. And I jumped on the opportunity because I thought it would be a, a neat little sideline to, to playing. Um, and being at the right place at the right time in history, which I didn't know anything about at that time, it just was uh, gave us the opportunity of making a, a, a high-end custom pedal that would replace the pedals that were being made by the new companies coming in, which was Tama Pearl and Yamaha, who weren't aggressively looking at how important the pedal was to a drummer. Right. They were more trying to hit price points for drum sets to dominate you know, the American industry, which had at that point been sold to other bigger manufacturers, Ludwig Slinger and Rogers. So we started selling more pedals than I ever dreamt we would ever sell in, in my lifetime because people would buy those drum sets, the pedal would break, and we would have the replacement, the replacement pedal, if you will. Um, and that, you know, some struggles through the early years there, as you would with any company that gets sure. started. Um, 
We came out with the chain and sprocket on the pedal, which made it really cool, which was a patent that I acquired. And then we got patents on the double pedal, the first company to have a double pedal. And so being innovative was the key and being able to be custom in the area of drum hardware. And that's all we did. We didn't really start literally selling drum sets to 1990 at the, right. at the trade show. People tend to think we'd been doing it from the beginning. And we, we did make a few kits as a hobby from the beginning. John Good, who was one of my students, ended up being my partner and as is, is today. Um, and so he would make a few drums because I was really busy doing everything else um, just for fun to get them out there to the guys. Um, so as, as the manufacturing company grew, I tried to have education be as much a part of it as I could. Right. Because uh, Ludwig had a great education department back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was almost set up as a separate division. But really it's two different you know, uh, core business models. Sure. So um, when we got to the point where uh, we were focusing mainly on manufacturing, I just had talked for years about getting back into education, and it kind of became the family joke, uh, being a family company with my daughters and my son working here. So are you, are you gonna do it when you're 110, Dad? Right. Or are you, <laughs> you keep talking about this. So um, the opportunity came up when the building we're sitting in, which is actually across the street from the manufacturing building, when we needed more space and we acquired this, I just literally police taped, you know, the police tape, you know, crime scene taped, right off this end of it, because I knew we'd fill it with stuff, because mm -hmm. you always will, and uh, said, I want to build a studio here, and let's really you know, see what we can do in the education area and get a website out. And that was uh, back in uh, pretty much 2007, mm -hmm. uh, 2008, when we started. And then it was many years you know, getting the website built and getting it going and, and failing and trying again as far as the people who were building the website. Right. But, the, the content, as, as with, with your site, you know, uh, just doesn't stop. You know, right. there, there's drummers everywhere, and they want to tell their stories, and uh, that's what I love about your site. Um, you. you can really get in depth with hearing. I'm rambling on, you know, <laughs> which is what they do on your site, well, I guess. That's right? what we're here for. I'll let you ask another question in a minute. No, I mean, anyway, I'm so, this. I mean, that's... You know, and not to not to interrupt you, but this is this is the greatest thing, and the the format that I've always wanted to have for drummers' resources. To I want it to be a conversation. So if you and I are just sitting here having this conversation and recording it, that's what I want the people to listen to. You know, rather than cutting it up and editing it up and making it short and concise and everything. I you know if if we talk for three hours, I want people to listen to the whole you know to the whole conversation and make it feel like they're sitting in the room with us. I so. won't talk for three hours, but. but. <laughs> But there is kind of a fun side to the story, which I guess if you were to, you know, uh, take it down to whiplash, it's like if you have an idea and you follow through with it and you, you know, and you work hard and you're motivated, you should be able to be successful at anything you want to do, especially if it's fun. So sure. as much as I had never envisioned myself not playing drums all my life, uh, I'm still very much involved in the industry and, and approaching a day's work at DW, especially in the early days, isn't that much different than playing. You have mm -hmm. to come in and be totally creative and think out of the box and try things and it doesn't work and practice it again and do it right. again and see what it takes in order to uh, do something that the other people aren't doing. Right. Now, and there was a couple things that you brought up. One was the fact that with the pedals that you wanted to try to be different and try to be innovative. and. So how much of that went into the things that you do with DW? Because you're, I think DW has done a very good job at separating themselves from the pack. And so I kind of want to get inside of that a little bit to see what the thought process was behind yeah, that. Or the... Maybe it's going to sound a little bit like I'm, you know, just telling a story. But um, I've been asked before, and actually by one of our major competitors some years ago at a NAMM show, uh, who, who does your marketing? Mm -hmm. you, know, you have very good marketing. Who does your, who does your marketing? And it kind of took me back a little bit. I said, well, uh, I said, I do it with, with uh, um, an outside agency. We get together and we just come up with what we're going to do. And, and he kind of laughed uh, as if I didn't want to tell him. Right. You know, uh, oh, he kind of looked like, I got it. Okay. I, you, you don't want to tell me who's really doing it because, you know, you don't want me to know or something. Sure. And he walked away and I thought, God, he has, he would think that the way you would build a brand is by hiring some guru marketing team to come up with all of these plans and things you want to do. And 
really, it just made common sense to me. You just, you do something that you feel really good about. You make uh -huh. it as good as you can. It's expensive, which is a problem, but you know, are you gonna use uh, literally unground bearings for 39 cents? Are you gonna use ground precision bearings for $2? Um, in, the, in the early days, my friends were buying this stuff and playing on it. So, right. you know, so you're not gonna give Keltner a pedal that's not gonna feel like, you know, the best pedal he's ever wanted to play on. Sure. And, that, and that's, you know, the, the very second or third pedal we made went to Hank Belson who gave it to Louie. And, uh, and I got a call the next day from Louie, who I had, didn't know him at all personally. We, you know, I had met maybe on a few social occasions. So I was surprised he was calling and just said, uh, this is the best pedal I've ever played. Thank you very much. And I just thought we were a success. Right. Uh, it was several years later when our accountant didn't think we were such a success, <laughs> but I kept saying we're successful. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, necessity was the mother of invention in those days. We bought a certain amount of tooling to make a bass drum pedal. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, we started making more bass drum pedals than I thought we would, which meant I had to hire a few people and I had to rent a place to do it and get mm -hmm. some machinery and equipment. And then we needed to expand and add more products because you know we couldn't bring in enough revenue just selling a bass drum pedal sure. to cover all of the expenses that we had. And that's when we just looked at the stuff and said, well, could you make a double pedal out of these things? Could you make an electronic pedal out of these things? What, mm -hmm. what can you make out of tooling that's a bass drum pedal? So to some degree, we were driven by a lot by artists who were bringing ideas to it and mm -hmm. a lot just by sitting there knowing you have to come up with something that's different and better or you're not gonna be able to continue on. Sure. Uh, so when did the, when did the, because you're well known not only for the drums but also for all of the hardware as well. So did, when, when did the hardware come into play? Uh, was that around the same time that you started making the drums as well? No, that was a, uh, the hardware, I mean we, we got into hardware pretty much, I guess if you're looking uh, chronologically, we started with pedals mm -hmm. and, uh, 79, 80, 81, 82, double pedal 82, 83, 84. Dabbled in with some hi-hats um, and made a hi-hat with a chain connection between the pedal and the board and there was only one other that was done like that prior to us. Um, and got into some cymbal stands. Mm -hmm. So they weren't our primary focus, but obviously we were making pedals, it would make sense to round out the line and make the other hardware. Sure. So we were making a fairly complete line of hardware uh, in the later 80s. Mm -hmm. and dabbling enough in drums to where we would put out some flyers and put some ads where you could, we had a handful of dealers, I mean literally, maybe five or six, that were selling the drums. And uh, we weren't competing that aggressively with the hardware because Tama Pro and Yamaha were making real big heavy duty hardware at a mm -hmm. much lower price than what we could ever do it at. Um, I mean, I remember pricing things out back in those days to, to plate a cymbal stand in the United States cost more than a distributor was buying their complete stand for. So, wow. so we then had to come up with something again that made it a little cooler and better and thicker tubing. And so if it's going to be more expensive, a guy's gonna wanna pay for it because it has a couple of patented features which we were able to come up with. Sure. So, um, so the, the, the big answer to your question, I think, in terms of how we built the mystique we had is it just, uh, it happened almost uh, naturally over a period of probably 10 to 15 years where, mm -hmm. where it was hard to get because, you know, we didn't have enough money to really grow. So we had to just make more and more and more as we could afford to, to fill the demand that was out there. And it was expensive because it had to be because we were putting the best possible components we could into it. So. Um, it, and there was a void because that's the timing issue. Ludwig Slinger and Rogers, three, you know, it's, it's an American invention, the drum set. Right. It's an American instrument. Sure. Uh, it was American companies that were known for pioneering it. Um, quick overview, when the Beatles landed, psh, business went crazy. Ludwig's business doubled. Right. I mean, it was just like nuts. At that point, Big business, the CBS's who bought Rogers, mm -hmm. uh, Steinways who now own Ludwig, people started scratching their heads and saying, hey, these crazy drummers, there's, there's a lot of them out there all of a sudden. <laughs> right. hey, we could make money doing this, you know? Uh, right. We don't know what they do and we don't care, but it's, you know, there's, buy a, things. there's a lot of sales and they buy things, right? So, so as those companies that were entrepreneurial in the beginning, uh, there was Rogers, there was Ludwig, there was Slingerland, um, sold, um, they took a little bit different outlook 
the owners as opposed to what an entrepreneur would who was understanding that he was building a quality instrument or trying to for the end consumer. And the foreign competitors saw that they could dominate that industry um, because they were making things offshore at a much lower price than the American companies could make things at. So given boom, here we are, un, you know, kind of known to me uh, in the mid 80s, making a high-end quality custom-made drum set and we were the only ones that were really offering that and able to do it. So right. um, we had built a reputation with the pedals mm -hmm. uh, and that was you know, the key and we had a lot of artists playing the pedals. So beyond my circle of friends on the West Coast, I got to meet a lot of the guys because they were using our pedal. Um, in 1990, when we decided to go to the NAMM show with the drums, that was a whole different story because going from making a pedal, which I think was 149 bucks in those days to a $3,000 drum set is like, from a business standpoint, you're selling apples and oranges. Sure. You got to sell a lot of pedals to get enough money to just make one drum set. You <laughs> right. know? So, and if you get orders for 10 drum sets, you're really screwed because mm -hmm. you don't have the money to make those. So it was something that I thought would you know, develop over the next 10 years. But I was shocked when we went to that show that uh, we had sold uh, probably 10 times more kits than we'd ever dreamt we would. Really? And uh, so, and, and what I learned from that is if you're making a, a quality product, uh, people are going to assume that you're going to continue to make a quality product. We didn't have to prove to somebody they were good that drums. You were gonna make if it had our name on it, then people knew we wouldn't do it if it if it wasn't really good. Right. And that's something we've protected to today. I mean, that's the idea of uh, us keeping the brand, uh, the DW name, on things that we're not compromising whenever we make it. We don't right. try and hit a, a specific price point. If mm -hmm. we can do something that is more affordable. Uh, by offering less options or less finishes, but still right. have it be you know, a great sounding kit mm -hmm. for the construction of the kit, then we'll do that. But we're never gonna get into the lower, you know, the things where, and that's why we came up with PDP, because that's a more affordable kit, right. where we can design that to say, what's the best possible way you can make a drum set for $6.99? Mm -hmm. For DW, we just like, what's the best possible thing we can make? And then like, oh shit, it's gonna cost a lot of money, but. Right. But you know, we can't. We don't. We won't compromise. On exactly. That. So you're not so. expensive just to be expensive. You're expensive because it's expensive to make the. It's expensive to yeah. make the product. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Uh, and and it's expensive. We're in California. Right. Uh, welcome to California, by Thank the way. Which is one here. of the more expensive places in the world to make it anything. Is. Uh, is. The living expense, the cost of plating, uh, all the government regulations. Uh, and we have one person that just deals with that all day long. Right. So it's, uh, it's, it's, but, but the main thing is, and in the early days too, you know, I'd, I'd rather put the quality into the product and have it speak for itself. The drumming community is small. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, uh, you know, better than anybody, you know, it's, if, if I don't think you can ever sell something to a drummer. I mean, it's nice to have the ads and, you know, you go through modern drummer, we're the best and we're the best and we're the best. But I just right. think. Get it in the store and have the guy try it, and you're going to make up your mind. You're not going to walk in and say, "Hey, I want this because it's this brand." Sure. Uh, because I saw their ad. Because and... <laughs> I say it because everybody says they're the best. So you know, why would how would you ever know from that? But sure. I think if you put the quality into it, the drummer's going to make up his mind. It's going to sound good. It's going to work for him. Mm -hmm. uh, they might like the sound of another drum set that's not a DW kit, and that's going to work for him. We try and make ours as versatile as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. But a Gretsch kit sounds different than a DW kit, and that's a legendary sound of a drum set, too. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a lot of the just personal choices. Exactly. Now, when you... Coming out of your playing career, I want to backtrack a little bit. Uh, when you when you started to get really busy with DW, I'm sure that at some point you had to make a decision. Oh yeah, it was early '80s. Yeah, it was the early '80s. And walk us through that a little bit. How was that? A, was that a tough decision to make? Did you reluctantly make the decision, <laughs> uh, it, or were you? It was. It kind of edged in. I mean, the 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 key factor was we needed more space to manufacture, and we were in uh, an area of Los Angeles that uh, was close to where all the work was, so mm -hmm. it wasn't a problem doing both. But um, what we could afford was a manufacturing facility that was about an hour and a half out of Los Angeles. So although for a year I commuted mm -hmm. uh, back and forth and still worked, uh, after that it was just 
uh, was burning the candle, you know, and at that sure. point I had... He who was everywhere I, is nowhere. Well, I had three kids in soccer. I was trying to make soccer games every day, you know, I wouldn't miss those, and uh, in the Little League uh, uh, practices and things, so mm -hmm. it was uh, kind of an easy transition, and fortunately some of my students continued to study with me during that period of time, so I didn't lose that connection, but it was... It was in the, I would say, the, the early 80s where I felt we had a shot. Mm -hmm. You know, it maybe, maybe there could be a company here that could really pay me a salary someday, you know, because right. for the first seven, eight years, I didn't take any money out of it. I made a living. And that's, you know, because we didn't have money to grow. So it's, sure. it's a, uh, and I was in band when I should have been in business, which probably was good because anybody, you know, the, the few consultants I talked to and bank people when I tried to get a loan, I, I, in the early 1980s, interest rates were 15, 18 percent. Uh, it was like an unbelievable time. So, right. so here I am going in saying, uh, I need $3,000. I'm starting a custom drum company. Um, what's the industry like? Well, the three American companies have all sold and gone broke. Uh, and the interest rates are 18 percent. And you want to start a business doing the same thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't, you know, next, you know, so that didn't work out well at all. Uh, so not knowing what a business climate might be like mm -hmm. was just, was good because I knew we had something that worked. And if I had 10 friends that liked it and I did, then you just got to wait it out until you get it to enough people, I think. Sure. And we were selling to dealers who were drummers that had music stores. So they got it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, uh, it was an, an, you know, an exciting time as it was earlier. We talked about the Wrecking Crew movie, you know, right, back right. in the 60s. There was exciting times in the music uh, manufacturing world and industry world that, you know, won't be duplicated. Sure. Yeah, but I, it's, it's interesting because I love, I love music and I love business, you know, and I love the music business. So, and sometimes you do, you know, you have to make decisions of whether it's going to be touring or putting more time into the business side of things. And so I, I, I was really, in, I'm really interested to, to get your take on that because, you know, that's something that runs through through my head at the same time because I'm equally passionate about about both of them, yeah. which is and, interesting. And you're, you have a business, you right. know, and in, right. and in very much the same as manufacturing or doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, we're both involved in drummers and we're both trying to get, get the word out there. And not to say that it was an easy road. I mean, we went broke literally at least twice for sure and close to three times mm -hmm. where it was like I got to bring more money in or this isn't going to work right so uh, and trials and tribulations even at our levels with the websites you know that's got its ups and downs and feeling what's the best way to get the message out there because mm -hmm. it's always new technology for us fortunately I think a drum set is what it is right uh, electronics have a major place I think uh, musically in the industry for all of us as drummers but yeah, you know, where's the drummer? You know, right. you, you need you need the feeling of that air moving. So that's mm -hmm. that's not going to change. Right. So what's your opinion of the current state of of the music industry business in terms of all of the new products that are coming out, all of the new custom companies that are coming out? Uh, do you do you welcome that that change in these and all of these new companies coming in? And and what's your advice for for other people who have products that they're trying to put out onto the market. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult business climate, uh, particularly because, you know, you know, where the economy has been and where the, you know, with, with a lot of foreign manufacturers making drums in China and Taiwan and places where the labor rates are a dollar an hour, mm -hmm. um, it drives the mass market down to a level where um, you're not going to be able to compete with them unless you're, you know, playing the same ball game as, as right. they are, if you will. Um, on the other hand, I, I encourage and, and welcome and, and even help entrepreneurial young companies because I think that's the spirit of, of uh, what the instrument's all about. You know, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd, I would rather be having somebody choose between a DW kit and five other custom kits uh, where you know the guy's making it, you know he's getting a good drum set, um, and he'll come up with some things maybe that nobody else thinks about, sure. which is... Which and if that makes two more drummers uh, and down the road, then there's that much more of a drumming community for us to all uh, take advantage of in mm -hmm. terms of them buying our products. So I think that you know I I there's a lot of players in it right now because uh, a lot of bigger companies want to round out their musical instrument divisions and mm -hmm. have drums in there. Um, but I support anybody that would want to get into it sure. to to 
to, to do it. I mean, you just have to be, don't bet the farm on it. Right. You know, take it, which I didn't, you know, either. Take it kind of slow. Again, right. I had an income. I never thought I would be doing this, you know, full time. Right. Um, and a, well, and a lot of people think that if you start a business, you know, or you, you own a business, well, then automatically you have a ton of money and, you know, there's, if you start a business a couple of years later, you're going to have all this money and, you know, you're not going to have to worry about, about no. anything else. And, no. Which is the complete opposite of yeah, that's the, that's the, I mean, the, the most difficult thing I think about someone getting into making drums right now is the drum set itself is a really labor-intensive uh, instrument. Right. So it's, once you get, like I did with, you know, with Drum Workshop at the beginning as a teaching studio, once it got out of there and got into a little small manufacturing space, you know, the burden of rent and overhead, you know, was you know, killing us. And then when it had to get even bigger, that even became more of a problem. Mm -hmm. So the, the stages you have to really look at is keeping it as small as you can and doing it as independently as you can. Um, and that relates to the things we're doing, I think, with our websites too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it, you're not going to hire 50 people to start a website, you know, it's just right. the chances. You might be able to find some and I don't even know in today's climate, you know, a few years ago, you'd be able to get some uh, some investors that would be putting anything into any kind of social media sites that were sure. out there, but they've all kind of learned. There's few of them that really yeah, they succeed. They don't all make it. They don't all make it. No, no. They so, make everyone a billionaire. Yeah, yeah, right. right. But but there's enough to get by, and you don't know, you know, where that breaking point's going to be, where somebody would come up with something that would, you know, be accepted by more of the mainstream and really sure. make it more of a of a of a full time job. Mm -hmm. I want to I want to talk about uh, about Drum Channel a lot or really get into the nitty gritty of that but also want to talk a little bit about the the acquisition of the, that just happened in January because there's been speaking of social media there's what been, was that what's that there was, I think the some acquisition DW we, we, bought they, something or, oh okay I've heard about that I think, yeah, yeah I, I've been reading a lot about it on, I read a lot on, about on social too yeah right yeah, well that's why <laughs> I heard it might not be such a great thing no right, I'm and that's what I want to talk about because I want to I want to sort of clear the air for the listeners and and go on record of exactly what happened with the acquisition, uh, what didn't happen, uh, what's going to happen in the future, what's not going to happen Is this going to be in parts? Because people are going to be going out for their beer right about now. <laughs> I think. I'm going on and on way too much. No, that's what uh, we're here for. Uh, we do, however, knowing a little bit about the technology of Drum Channel, we might have to change tapes at some point, so I'll have them just yell when that happens. Fair enough. Uh, the, uh, yeah, the, in short form, uh, the acquisition and the idea of that, my son pretty much blazed that trail. Mm -hmm. He's the CEO of DW and does the day-to-day -day and does just a brilliant job of it. Mm -hmm. I keep my hat in the arena of research and development, mm -hmm. um, which is now, as a result of these other brands, obviously become you know a, a, a consuming job to, to digest them all in the first place mm -hmm. and then to see how we want to advance each one of those. So it was uh, right place at the right time, kind of, again. Um, wasn't something we had on the agenda. We weren't sitting there thinking, God, we gotta add this and we need to add that, we gotta do that. Um, I had always toyed with the idea of getting back into some Latin percussion because I, I developed the Gunbops product line uh, back around 07, 08, mm -hmm. uh, which was just a namesake. They were the leaders in the 50s of Latin percussion instruments and then LP dominated. Um, and I knew the family and I ended up owning the name and uh, wanted to honor them. and do a custom high-end line like the DW line, pretty mm -hmm. much, of Latin percussion. Um, so I spent two years really developing that. And then um, with the economy slowing down in 08, uh, we had the opportunity to sell it, which helped our cash flow with DW. Sabian owns that now and is doing a good job of, of distributing it. Um, so that was just one thing in the back of my mind. So when Chris came in and said there was the opportunity of purchasing uh, the percussion brands of Fender because they wanted to move on from being a distributor of a whole bunch and focus more on Fender and a couple of guitar lines. Mm -hmm. I said that would be great, thinking, yeah, that would be great, but this is never going to happen. Right, right. <laughs> Go get them. You know, sure. this life goes on here. But uh, as a year went by and it started getting more and more serious, and, and he worked on it full time pretty much for a good part of that year. I mean, you would wonder how something like that would take full time, but... There was a lot no, involved. I can see how, yeah. Yeah, you're dealing with an organization that's, you know, a huge machine, and and we're a few people. Uh, right. So, uh, 
it just, at the end of the day, it was on again and off again and on again and off again uh, for a multiple number of reasons that it turned on to be on again in pretty much early December, mm -hmm. uh, which the timing obviously couldn't be worse. The, Jan you know, the NAM show is in January, so it was kind of like, well, it's not going to happen, so let's see what happens next year. Um, but it, you know, the opportunity came up and it did happen, and we, uh, and and it it felt very comfortable to me because I. I've grown up knowing those brands. Mm -hmm. um, so what were all the, the brands that? Latin Percussion was, mm -hmm. was uh, a brand that we actually acquired. Uh, Gibraltar, mm -hmm. which we acquired. And, and I know uh, the main manufacturer of Gibraltar. I've known him ever since we went into business. He used to make stands and things for us. So it um, wasn't like we've got something, we've got to figure out what to do with it. Sure. You know, we got something, we know exactly what's happening with it. Now we just want to see where we want to take it. Um, also, uh, uh, it's kind of a, a sideline to what we do, but Ovation Guitars ended up in the mix, right. which uh, is we're excited about. Um, it's, I'm totally out of that, but there's people here that you know are really experienced and have been with that brand for a long time. Mm -hmm. As much as I run into you know any age guitar player, they'd all had one at some sure. point in time. It was big. People people know the name. Um, and then something that was equally exciting to me, although you know, uh, probably the thing that might have seemed the strangest was Fender had the license agreement with Fred Gretsch and the Fred Gretsch family mm -hmm. to manufacture and, and sell Gretsch drum sets. Um, Fender continues to do Gretsch guitars. Mm -hmm. um, so I just said, and that was the big question Chris said to me, what do you think about that? And I said, I think that would be great uh, because they, you know, the, the history, which was always in my mind, of American drum manufacturing for us started in pretty much 1980, really right. 1990. Um, Gretsch goes back to the eight, late 1800s, you know, mm -hmm. almost before the whole invention of the drum set. Um, and they had a certain sound which we don't produce. Uh, so that, that marriage of being able to fill the entire history of American manufacturing kind of at its best Right. Our, our Pacific kind of being what Ludwig Schlinger and Rogers were in the 70s and 80s, a, uh, uh, eight ply all maple shell, um, DW, where we continue to innovate and go like you know into space and beyond with different shell constructions mm -hmm. and ways to do it, and Gretsch now, which is you know that great Gretsch sound, which is inherent to what I grew up listening to with Elvin Jones, with right. I mean Jeff Picaro, you know who made. You know, these great records on right, right. a lot of them on, on on a Gretsch drum set, so that that felt good to me, and um, and we've had a great rapport with uh, Fred Gretsch and Dinah uh, and the Gretsch family, uh, who are excited to work with us because uh, for them it it was uh, a good relationship to be with Fender, a company that's that big because mm -hmm. they're going to sell a lot of your stuff because they're really that big, but to have it back in the hands of a family operation that's entrepreneurial, that understands, you know, exactly what the quality needs to be and, mm -hmm. and bring back some of the things that we would like to do that possibly they didn't have budgets to do or they weren't allocated budgets to do in those days. Right. Is, and we are, we're doing some really cool things with it. Uh, so now who, so. And also not, Cat, by the way, that was another brand. Oh, which, which Electronics, which, which is a license agreement also. Okay. So. Expl for the listeners, explain the difference between the manufacturing rights versus licensing versus owning the oh, brand. Well, basically, uh, so uh, when it comes to LP and to Gibraltar and to Ovation, we, uh, we own those names. Okay. So basically, like we own, I mean, we are DW, but mm -hmm. Drum Workshop as kind of the parent company uh, has the DW brand and the Pacific brand, and we own those other names, which mm -hmm. means we basically own those companies. Right. Um, the, the, the companies, in terms of manufacturing facilities, are something that we acquired. Mm -hmm. So the, the, we have the, we're gonna be developing and designing, everything we're doing with DW, we're gonna be doing with those brands, okay. basically. Uh, Fred Gretsch is a license agreement. Fred Gretsch and the Fred Gretsch family own Gretsch. Right. Uh, and they can do anything they want with Gretsch. I feel like you should say that a few more times because, you know, because people were saying that. Yeah, and actually it was, it was misunderstood and even Modern Drummer put out that we bought them too because they misread our press release, but we right. were emphatic about it at the NAMM show and I have been as much as possible. Mm -hmm. No, the, the Gretsch family has always owned Gretsch. Well, right. I can't say that, but 
Fred Gretsch uh, bought it back because it was outside the family, you know, years and years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Feldwin owned them. But basically, the Gretsch name is in the Gretsch family, and they are very passionate about that. Um, and the heritage of it, going back to the great-great-grandfather. Mm -hmm. Fred is a guy. Have you interviewed Fred? I haven't. Oh, God, you got to do that. He's talking I would, about... I would love to. Talk about history, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's not that far from your neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. he, would be, he would be great. But, um, you know, in, in, in going to the Gretsch factory, which uh, is continuing to be where the drums are made, and meeting the people there that are doing it, there was an instant rapport I had with them. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, uh, Paul, who runs it, is a huge drum geek and aficionado of Gretsch, and, and it's not a business to them. It's literally a passion. Mm -hmm. He plays them, you know, every weekend. Uh, they all understand the history of it. So, yes, Fred Gretsch owns Gretsch, mm -hmm. and, and his decision is that we would be great partners with him in order to do a lot with the brand that probably hasn't been able to have been accomplished in recent years right. with a with a larger company owning it that 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 has a million things to do of which one is Gretsch. Mm -hmm. You know, we're a drum company. You know, when we DW drums, we make Gretsch drums. So mm -hmm. we're going to be focusing a lot on what we can do to make those you know everything that we think the consumer would want them to be. Sure, sure. So we're not going to change anything. It's not going to be mega different. So there's so they'll continue to make them and and you'll basically just. Yeah, they continue to help, help them innovate different things and, and distribute. Yeah, I mean, dumb things. I mean, we're coming out with a lot of new colors on some of those lines. Well, right. you know, uh, it makes sense if you're going to, it's a custom American made drum. So, uh, yeah, it might have been a good decision for the previous owner to limit the colors because it made easier to offer, it was easier possibly to offer fewer colors sure. to the world out there just from a sales perspective. But, Never thinking about that. Maybe I should more, but uh, but not, I hope our salespeople don't hear this. But <laughs> but it's what you know. If the consumer is walking in, consumer years. walks in and he wants a Gretsch drum set. I don't want him to say, oh, well, oh, but I can't get that one in that color. Right. Well, you can paint that one in that color. It's being painted at the same friggin' place. Why can't well, I get right. Why can't I get a Brooklyn kit or a broadcaster kit? You know, in that same color. Sure. So anyway, just some. I call them no-brainer things we're going to do, which will improve it right away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, minor things, uh, the lightning throw-off, you know, we're just tightening up some screws and things on that. So mm -hmm. just details is what is the most important thing to me, you know, right. and that's, you know, and it's, I think, a big part of the story of our success is in the details, you know, sure. the, the way the symbol stands fit together. The way anything mechanically that goes together, I want to be the last person that sees it, not mm -hmm. some person who's doing the best job he can in China, but has no idea what he's making. Exactly. And could easily be putting it together incorrectly, and he wouldn't know because he's not sure what the guy's doing with it when he gets it. Right. So, yes, that's that's very clear. I'm glad that we cleared that up, though, because there was, yeah. like, I know. Oh, there was a lot of social, what are, what are they going to do with it? They're going to, they're going to, they're, they're going to buy it and bury it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Don right. Lombardi's going to take his hard-earned money, buy it for a lot of money, and turn around and not do anything with it? I, I don't and think so. <laughs> I don't think so, no. Well, listen, if you're going to throw it, just, you can just give it to give me. It to I'll you, take yeah. it if you're, yeah. gonna, yeah. If you're just no. going to throw it. No, and right. we don't own it. You know, it's up to <laughs> right. Fred to see whatever he would want to whatever he would want to do with it. And, right. and we're going to be great partners. You know, it's going to be excellent. I'm excited to see what, what the future holds with all that. So what does the future hold for, for DW? Uh, what is the, what's the next direction? There's, I mean, we're very... In terms of the drums and... Yeah, we're very... I mean, as, as far as the acquisition goes, we're fanatical that it doesn't change anything that we're doing, and it mm -hmm. doesn't. I mean, the factory out here is the same. The only change is we have more offices because we have more salespeople, but right. that's the only, you know, really substantial change. Mm -hmm. um, nothing changes what we're doing. I think the key is we don't look at it as being a bigger drum company. Ta-da! We look at it as somebody owning a bunch of small companies mm -hmm. and really keeping the entrepreneurial spirit with the brand managers of each one of those companies. Um, that and that's thrive the, on their own. And, and that's, yeah, and, that, and that's the way I'm developing the product too. So, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm in product meetings, as you know, because I haven't spent so much time with you as I'd like to uh, all day long. Uh, so DW has a lot of cool things that we're working on for, for next year. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you all, since, you know, in 40 plus years, you think, uh, what are we going to do next January? Right. And we never get done what we wanted to last January, and we always have more stuff than we can come out with next January. Right. So uh, we have the Bog Oak kit this year, the 1,500-year-old wood that 
John Good's out there researching everything on the drum side, and we've got some cool new hardware ideas that we're coming up with for this year too. So there's no shortage of stuff, but where it comes from is, you know, you out there and your, your group. Uh, so encourage anybody that they have ideas to, you know, to let us know. Absolutely, definitely will. So I want to get into the drum channel stuff a little bit deeper. Yeah, so, I'm sorry we, we haven't to... got into too much of that. No, I've way talked too much about that. We'll, we'll reverse the interview. We'll start the, <laughs> hey, I'm going to talk to you about drum channel now. <laughs> well, let's, uh, do we need to switch? Do we need to switch tape or anything? Or uh, how good? are we on time? Oh, I can tell you the story. Okay. Uh, so now we had mentioned your we had mentioned your passion about about education, education and how you wanted to to start Drum Channel. So you sectioned off a place and said we're going to build a studio there. Uh, yeah, much more of a studio than I had intended. So it's I, beautiful. I, you know, it's a lot bigger than I anticipated. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, for an internet site, you know, you can do it in a room, mm -hmm. but. Um, I thought we'd have something because we'd want to have, knowing the caliber of musicians we'd have out here, uh, even doing lessons, part of it, and a big part of it is going to be how you're performing in a band situation. And they're used to being in nice studios because they do that for a living all day long. So I was fortunate to have some of the right people and engineers and players to help design the actual physical structure. So sound-wise, it has a really good acoustic quality to mm -hmm. it. Um, and it's gotten a really good rap uh, in the LA area for uh, doing drum sounds and we don't rent it out it's not necessarily why it was built but we right. do do that with friends and some of the guys from time to time um, so we built the audio video studio uh, and have added to the audio side of it as the years have gone by to be mm -hmm. a formidable control room that could handle almost any project that would want to come right, out here. Because this is not just an internet build. I mean, no, this, this is, is, a, this you is can true. In, you, can, you, you record DVDs yeah. here and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, there's been, some, there's been some major bands uh, who we don't advertise who will do their, you know, their dress rehearsal or their rehearsals here. Right. Um, and that's rare because we usually don't like to lock it out for a week or two weeks because it keeps us from doing anything we're doing. But on the other hand, uh, I don't discourage it because sure. it's a nice revenue source, which right. we need too. So basically, the, the facility was, was one thing. The whole idea was um, to try and reach as many non-players as possible and encourage them to, you know, to look at the instrument, since mm -hmm. it's, you don't get that access in schools like you used to, and to take the players we have and have them get the advantage of learning from, and like you do so well with your site, being inspired by just hearing the stories about these people. Right. So, we started with lessons, and then it just it revolved into interviews. And well, could I have this guy come out and we could jam? So mm -hmm. then it's like, well, now we should add some drum jams to it too. Uh, and then it got into, can I do? We'll do a full show. We'll interview somebody, have the band play, go back and forth, um, and did regular series of those, which we're going to get back into again before the end of this year. Um, it's just been there's been so much going on. Uh, and we're changing a lot of the structure, as you know, websites and design change as technology changes. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, you could revamp it every day to keep up with technology, but eventually every couple of years, you've got to sit and see what you want to do. Break it down and see, you, break it down and see what you can do to kind of make it cooler all over again. So, so the idea of, of just getting back into education without giving one-on-one -on -one lessons, which mm -hmm. I don't have time to do, but to take advantage of the people that I've been able to know and become friends with throughout the years, who come out here and just give of their time and have a, a good time doing it. Right. It's, it's a beautiful thing what you do. It's funny because when I had an idea for Drummer's Resource, I said, let me, you know, let me start doing some research on this. And the first thing I found was Drum Channel. Oh, cool. I said, ah, oh, Don beat me to it. You know, but but I love the idea of of what you're doing here, and I hope you didn't say, "Oh, Don's making a lot of money," because that would have been a real, <laughs> I can do this. Yeah, that's what I thought. I a was real, like... a real awakening. No, <laughs> no, we haven't figured out how to do that yet. Uh, uh, and the challenge there is, people, you know, I, for years I thought we would just put the lessons up because mm -hmm. as a kid I would, I mean, literally as a young drummer you would be able to go backstage if I was lucky and somebody would introduce me to somebody and I could talk to these guys for 10, 15 minutes. But right. To have them sit out here and talk for an hour, I would think would be a dream. I would want right. to see this, you know, all day long. But <clears throat> the mentality of the younger kids, you know, with YouTube, it's music and it's video, it should be free. Right. Uh, and so rather than just talking about the great things we have up on the site, I learned that we really need to educate people as to the importance of education, which just sounds like a dumb thing to say, but, right. <clears throat> but you're going to learn how to do something 
that somebody does if you copy them. But the reason they're doing it is because they learned the basics of how to do what they learned and apply it to that, exactly. if that makes sense. So, yeah. so we really want to get behind the scenes and teach people, you know, Quibus, Potketir uh, Kobus, people mm -hmm. would say, uh, most of you drummer on YouTube, when he came out here several years ago, in six months he said he learned more than he did in four years teaching himself. Uh, and he was flabbergasted at the people that he had played cover songs with, how knowledgeable they were. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not like their musical experience was at the level of that particular song. Right. Uh, probably they got that gig because you know, they could blow everybody away with everything they did, but they also knew how to play to the song. Right. Um, Adam Willard was the first guy that he did a show with out here, which was really good because oh, really? the, Angel the Angels and Airways tune was one of, the, one of his biggest covers. So huh. for him to play a cover with the drummer in the room of the guy that actually did, that actually it, did it, and then learn about his career and you know, how much he was into jazz, which mm -hmm. you're, you're always going to stay within your comfort level if you continue to do things. That's the advantage of having a teacher because right. a teacher is going to make you do things you don't know how to do. Mm -hmm. and if you're self-taught, you're going to tend to just kind of stay in that area where you're having fun doing what you're doing, which is great. I mean, you know, the whole idea is to play and have fun. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to, Thomas Lang's been here for the last two weeks and holy Moses. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, if you've got 28 hours a day to practice uh, and try and get that good, then go for it. You know, I would love to too. But well, I was telling the guys here when we were setting up that I saw, the first time I ever saw Thomas Lang play was maybe, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. And I thought my head was gonna explode. I, I was so blown away by how good he was that I was like, I, it made me want to do one of two things, either lock myself in a closet and practice for the rest of my life or just quit playing drums altogether. Well, I've got bad news for you. He's gotten faster. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't gotten any better. Right, right. Any, anyways, uh, so the website, you know, is, is really important to me personally because I think mm -hmm. that's, that's something that, uh, that is content that will live forever, you know, mm -hmm. and I wish something like this was around when a lot of the people that I grew up with were, were here, uh, where we could document what they had to say. Right, right, and that's been, you know, one of the things that I've learned just from doing all these interviews. I've done almost 100 interviews, and the amount of knowledge that I've gotten just from talking to these people that I would have never had the opportunity of talking to, and that's the, the thing that's great about Drum Channel is that you provide people not only the the ability to to sit there and listen to someone have a conversation and talk about their career and talk about their approach to playing and talk about their approach to the music business but then you can also watch them play they can walk you through certain things and you know it's it's a dream come true for for drummers uh you know and i i hope that more people take advantage of it um, yeah i think it's a lot of it is getting the the word out there mm -hmm. you know and look forward to working together with you so mm -hmm. we can both let people know what we're what we're both doing. Well, I think it's, sure. like it's really important. I don't I don't I don't look at any competition. I, I think we're all in this for the same thing. Yeah, uh, we're right. all in it to to teach people and to grow the industry. Mm -hmm. And I don't care what website you go to to learn from. You're going to come on the Drum Channel because you're still going to want to hang out and see what these guys are doing at the same time. Exactly. Um, and it's and it's cheap. It's not like it's. Forty dollars a month. No, no, no. Maybe if it wasn't so cheap, we'd be doing better. But right. but but it is, and it's subscriber based. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's eight dollars a month, ninety-six dollars a year, fourteen dollars, uh, ninety-six dollars a year, which would be eight dollars a month, or fourteen, I think, ninety-five uh, a month. So it's the idea. In other parts of the world, that's a lot of money. Sure. So the idea is to make it really affordable, so it's not something where you would decide to do this rather than something else. Mm -hmm. um, you can do this if you want, or Take lessons, you know, I'm totally an advocate of private instruction. Mm -hmm. Drum channel is not to circumvent you taking lessons with a private teacher. Right. If you can find one in the area, then great, go, go do it. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of parts of the world, you know, there aren't. But there's a lot of great websites that you can study from also. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that, you know, for at $14 a month or if you pay annually $8 a year, or $8 a month, $96 a year, that's, you know, that's less than you would pay for one private lesson. You can watch all these lessons with all these people and watch all these shows. But it's not free. Exactly. So that's, you know. But you do do. So you guys out there. <laughs> <laughs> but you do free things on there as we well. We do free things on there as well too, yeah. The whole point is it's, it's, it's in the mindset of a lot of the younger consumers especially, you know, uh, that, you know, if I want to have, if I'm not serious, I'm not going to practice, I want to have fun, then why don't I just go check out some videos on YouTube. Right. Um, which again, I'm, uh, 
I check out videos on YouTube whenever I can right. also because it's really fun. But this is, this is, there's a different intent when you're coming on to want to really learn from somebody and study. Mm -hmm. And the shows we have are you know, pretty funny and entertaining too. Right. You don't yeah, have, it's not like you're taking a lesson all the time. Right. Uh, but you're gonna learn a lot from them too. Mm -hmm. I mean the round table discussions are, I've learned oh. more from hanging with people than taking lessons yeah, exactly. too. Of just you know getting into the into the mindset and the way of thinking of, of some of these great drummers that you're you know that you wouldn't normally have access to, which yeah. I think is great. So everyone out there that is listening to this and watching this, I encourage you to go to drumchannel.com, check it out, tune in for a live lesson. They have live lessons all the time, and there's a ton of content on the site. So do yourself a favor and check that out. And Don, thank you for you know for taking the time to to do this interview. I appreciate it. I appreciate the hospitality here. And I'm really excited for, for things to come in the future with, with both of us. Thank you. And I've got a scoop for you. Uh, there's some lessons from somebody that we both know that might be coming up really soon. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Absolutely. Man. Thank you, Don. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yeah, anytime. So there you have it, the one and only Don Lombardi from DW Drums and Drum Channel. And I hope that cleared up some of the stuff with the acquisitions. And uh, I just, I hope you really enjoyed the stories that that Don had to tell. Be sure to check them out at dwdrums.com or at drumchannel.com. They've got a lot of amazing stuff happening over there at DW and at drumchannel.com. So please do yourself a favor and check them out. Also, again, if you get 30 seconds, can you please vote for the Drummers Resource on for the 2015 Drummies at Drum magazine.com forward slash drummies um, I've been nominated for best website and I could really use your vote so like I said if you've ever gotten any value out of the podcast please take 30 seconds and vote and you can also vote daily so I won't be mad if you're voting every day. So uh, please do that. Check me out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummers resource on Instagram at drummers resource and on Twitter at drummers R source. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Peace.